How are you guys doing? This episode is sponsored by Upside. So this is going to be a little bit of a different type of episode than we're used to. Over here, that is. Uh, I, I had a couple guys over in Ukraine. You guys do know they were filming some stuff on the ground. So we're going to actually insert a little bit of stuff from that in today's video. Uh, and we're, of course, going to give you guys all the details of what's going on currently with the major offensive that is going on by the Ukrainians. We're, we're going to start this one off uh, a different note as well, because why not? This is a different episode anyway. Uh, so here, enjoy this. Казалось бы, да? Причем да, тут? Да, причем тут Украина. Но они были Откуда побольше, у поэтому... тебя такие шорты? Умоляю, скажи мне это. Я просто нашел здесь чьи-то. Я откуда знаю. И... Ого. Сижу в шортах. Только угу. думаю, поставлю кусок мяса, чисто кину на железку. Типа пожарю всем. Угу. Кидаю кусок мяса, заходит зампотыл. Начинает задавать тупые вопросы. Он говорит, угу. ты же наделал типа гоны. Я говорю, увольте меня. Говорю, отправить меня в Россию. Я только этого и ждал, да? Да я только этого и ждал. Еще институт сейчас, если реально турнут, это вообще кошмар. У меня армия была на втором месте, институт на первом. Я чисто подписал контракт, пока вот три года учебы, три года института, чтобы потом с вышкой свалить с этой армии вонючей. А сейчас эта армия вонючая мне руинит весь институт. Да отсюда уже уволиться сложно. Тут уже все, короче. Это как это сложно? Лафа закрылась. Ну просто тебя не выпускают в Россию и все. Офигеть. Я уже хотел пару дней назад сказать, все, я сам Алекум. Но нет, не получается. Тебя просто здесь морозит и все. Ну да, конечно. Бросил учебу, защищаешь родину. Какую родину защищаю? Тут бабку вижу, мне стыдно его глаза смотреть. У него был нормальный дом, мы пришли его просто кусочки. So, you know, I, I do enjoy putting these, these interceptor phone calls every once in a while on the episode. And this is the first time we actually heard uh, it between a Russian soldier and like a loved one at home. I, I don't know. It might have been a girlfriend or a wife. Who, know, who really knows? Or sister. I don't know. But they actually seem somewhat human because they realize they're not really accomplishing anything inside of Ukraine. And they feel somewhat ashamed. Granted, I have ran into men like this when I was serving inside uh, our military as well, where they really just entered the military service to get a degree. Um, but at least the ones that I was with understood they were actually fighting against some sort of evil human instead of just like some farmers or like an old lady like he was talking about, a babushka. They were trying to protect their homeland from another invading country. Now, if you thought things were just a bit iffy on Russia's current situation when it comes to the amount of ammunition they have uh, or if the HIMARS have actually been dealing a major blow, now, don't worry, I've got it for you. North Korea, yes, they're coming to the rescue. The White House has actually just announced that Russia is literally buying millions of artillery shells and rockets from North Korea. I mean, if they're having to buy ammunition from North Korea, this is a clear indication that, yes, the sanctions, for one, are working. They can't get the needed uh, parts, whatever it is, uh, to, to, to kick the start this thing. Or two, Russia is struggling to maintain its supply lines, which is very true. They can't get the needed supplies in. Uh, they can't defend against the high Mars. We all know that. Ukraine's um, ability to literally strike them just about anywhere in the country is killing them. Uh, that, that There's supplies. And they will not be able to sustain, sustain this current rate that they're losing them. Like, and they're expending their ammo and, like, losses of their ammo. They, they can't, they just can't do it. Um, or they can't manufacture them within Russia at the needed rate. Um, you know, there is another way to look at this as well. 
The destruction of Russian equipment and its wearing out of its barrels is also causing them to have to uh, kind of diversify the array of, of guns and ammo that they're actually using and, and revert back to older stuff. Like the needed changes for these guns are different, clearly, to actually manufacture. And so that's kind of bottlenecking their supply lines. And, and, and maybe they're having the ammunition shop. You know, maybe maybe going out and buying stuff from North Korea is making it much more feasible, you know, feasible to actually maintain the supply. Uh, because, because they're going to have to maintain the, the amount of ammo for, and this sounds kind of goofy, like we in America, we do the same thing. Like we don't ever fall below a certain amount. So I think, I think that's what they're kind of doing. They don't want to fall below a certain amount. So if they ever have to fend off a, an attacking force against the Russian like government, they, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's why they're actually going out and buying it. But I don't know. Just want to throw it out there. And we finally uh, are actually able to see some of the numbers that are indicating the actual losses of the Russians that they've actually experienced. And this is actually the real numbers. This is not some random propaganda that we find through a Ukrainian source. So this is a document that you guys are currently seeing on screen right now. It's actually from the Ministry of Finance of the Russian Federation. And here it states the amount of money that's actually been paid out to families of KIA soldiers. And uh, these are the ones that have been fighting in Ukraine, clearly. But uh, it states right here uh, something that I've been saying for, for quite a long time, that, that the Russian losses are much higher than most think because they've been trying to advance to extremely fortified defensive positions in which they're clearly going to sustain high casualty rates. But the number that came out is, is actually a little bit higher than, than what the U.S. government was even predicting. Like right now, the Russian figure when it comes to the amount of KAs they've sustained is 48,759 soldiers who have actually lost their lives due to the war inside of Ukraine. Now, the sad part about this is, is these men were actually killed. Um, well, they thought they might have been taking part in some great thing to exterminate the Nazis. When in the end, they're just fighting for a crazy government who's just seeking to take back land that's once theirs. You know what's crazy about that? If you go with that same mindset, like if you go with that same mindset, that would mean that Russia would have... Uh, the ability or the, the mindset that they could take back Alaska. Uh, a lot of you guys and gals probably don't know this, but we bought Alaska from Russia. I can't remember how much it was for. I think, you know, I got to look it up. I'm going to look this up. I, I'd like to say $7 billion. Seven, oh, whoa, that was way off. $7.2 million in 1867. We purchased it from Russia for $7.2 million. So that's a pretty good little investment. So way to go, America. We bought Alaska. I don't know if a lot of people do know that. I actually found that out when I was in Hawaii on my honeymoon because I wanted to know, just looking up stuff. I didn't know that. So anyway, from cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting us where it all hurts. And it really hurts. And that's why I started using Upside. Upside is actually an incredible app for anybody who buys gas, groceries, and dines out. And guess what everybody does? I do. I buy a lot of gas and a lot of groceries. And so do you. So with every purchase, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. Upside isn't too good to be true. All right, I'm telling you right now, it's not too good to be true. I've used it and it works. Upside is a no-brainer. What do you plan on doing with all the cash that is going to be given back to you? Like, what, what is that? That's a question you should be asking yourself. Everyone has to buy gas. So this isn't when, when, when this is when I take advantage of it myself, to, to be honest with you guys. So right now, when I open up my Upside app, like, this is what I do when I'm going to go look for some gas. I take advantage of this the most. It's showing me right now, 31 cents off per gallon. At certain gas stations. So it's that easy. All you have to do is look at this when I'm like planning my routes and stops accordingly so I can hit these gas stations. So I'll save some most like a ton of money. Like all you got to do to get started is download the free Upside app. Yes, it's free in your app store or Google Play. Use my promo code SPEAKTHETRUTH and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's right. All you got to do is go to the very top of the description. Click the link. Download. That's right. Download the app. And in, in the app store, it's free. 
It's in App Store and Google Play. Use my promo code SPEAKTHETRUTH and get $5 or more cash back when you first purchase of $10 or more. That's all you got to do. Check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and get paid. In comparison, credit or cash rewards or loyalty programs, you earn three times more cash back with upsides. You literally can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, e-gift card for Amazon, and other brands. Right now, upside users are earning more than a million dollars every single week, and that's why it has a 4.8 rating on the App Store. So right now, like I said, go download it free. Upside app. Use promo code Speak the Truth to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's what you got to do. And before we move into this short little video from my guys that were over inside of Ukraine, I want to let everybody know that the Russians, for the first time ever during this war, have actually asked for a truce yesterday. They asked for a truce to go pick up and collect their, their corpses. They said they wanted to last for two hours. So enjoy this little bit of my boys that were over there inside of Bakhmut. Alright y'all, so we finally made it into the Donbass itself. Willie was explaining to me, Charles, exactly how the fighting in the Donbass generally takes place because of the uh, topography. So out here is like very like agricultural farming land. And it's pretty obvious from the fucking... Oh, Jesus Christ. Holy <laughs> shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, almost ran us off the road. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Anyway, sorry, some idiot in a sprint event. Because it's like very farming land, you've got these paddocks that might be going... 10 acres, 15 hectares sort of size. And of course, it's just open ground in that. It might be a field of sunflowers or wheat or whatever. But you'll, those will be surrounded by like a tree line. And it's literally just fighting tree line to tree line over that couple of hundred meters, a thousand feet or whatever. And that's just how it is. And it's very flat out here. Like there's some little features, but nothing over 100 meters, like 300 feet. Like no features really bigger than that. And it's just paddocky. And you can just see this land of like, you're in one tree line fighting into another tree line, just heading east to west, uh, or in some areas north south. But that's just how it goes. That is until they get into like a city, and then it, you know, urban combat takes over. Yeah, yeah. Sure, that's a fulcrum. What's right. Ukrainian, but I'm also not that confident. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not confident enough to cop a thousand pounder on a bridge. Yeah. When I was in that military convoy, that's why I was concerned. I'm like, Fuck. like, what? Because we're on the bridge with military trucks. I'm like, this. The worst <laughs> case scenario, yeah. this is not a good spot to be. Yeah, he came back with this, and he, he looked like the nose is coming towards us. Yeah. I'm like, oh. Here we go. Like, I'm not that good of a driver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just off the side. Yeah. Uh, classic. Yeah. Where do you figure their air bases? Yeah. It's got to be close. They don't have that much range. Yeah. Like, those jets going, like, like going fast, like doing, like, just going somewhere, like, you know, but if they're like, because they'll be sub they'll be supersonic, like, right. the whole time. Because right. they couldn't afford not to be. Right. Use so much more fuel. And being low, the air is so much thicker. Yeah. They're just 
pushing into it. Mm. So I, I, you could look up what the range of one of those is. Yeah. It wouldn't be much, man. Like, honestly, yeah. it's not, and they, they didn't have external fuel tanks on. Yeah. So it's lower again. So we just made it to our hotel in Crematorium, and obviously this city is a lot more dangerous uh, than we were at in Harky. Now this is the only hotel in Crematorium, which is a little sketchy as journalists because obviously this is like the only place they would be staying. Um, but luckily this hotel has a really good basement. Hopefully we won't have to use it, but it is kind of comforting to know that this is here. Yeah, so it's, uh, this hotel's bizarre. Um, it's really eerie. We, as far as we can tell, we are the only ones here. So, um, Willie's been telling us he doesn't know, uh, last time he was in the Dome Boss, which was like three days ago, there were no journalists here. Um, he was the only one, so. You know, you can tell the difference is whenever you come to the checkpoints here, instead of the border, instead of the checkpoint guard saying, okay, go ahead, uh, they, they told us uh, good luck. So, <laughs> that doesn't like, you know, speak to like what's going on here. I don't know what does, but would be nice to some AC. Yeah, so we're gonna go out with Willie relatively close to the front, I'm assuming. Go see uh, see what the deal is that way to where the Russians are and see how close we can get. So, um, probably be pretty hot today if I was gonna make any assumptions about what's gonna happen. So, yeah. So we're on the uh, western side of Bakhmut, but on the eastern side, uh, just on the very eastern edge, are uh, according to the map, Russian positions. So probably about, what do you say, four kilometers? Probably six from the actual Russian positions, if yeah. the map is correct, which yeah. I always probably add a kilometer where the Russians are, just because of the um, like the favoritism of the Ukrainians on that map, so. Yeah, so somewhere in that general area, on the other side of the city, are Russians. You know, we've been in here probably in the center of the city for about past 20 minutes and uh, artillery is pretty heavy as to be expected at the front line in the Donbass. So as of right now, I'd estimate we're probably about one and a half to two kilometers from Russian positions. They're across this little river right over here. No, English. English, yeah. Oh, and we're in the Vichy. Yeah. Yeah. 
everything over that next hill, like those smokestacks, all of that, that's all Russian. And over there is Russian. And basically any any like thing in the like bit of distance is all Russian controlled currently. Yeah. And that's where you can see smoke in. It's a bit hard because it's so windy. But the smoke in here, in here, is strikes basically 360 around this at the moment. Right. So we'll go out through Shasta Yar, what has been a strike as well. So the one thing I've learned today, other than I, that I, well, I already knew I hated Russian artillery, but the one thing I did learn today was that uh, the people out here, the soldiers in the Donbass, don't care if you show up, all right? They just tell you good luck. Now, back in Kharkiv, they actually cared and they would actually stop you at checkpoints and make you go get like a escort and everything, but this ain't the case out here. And that's kind of funny, because Russian positions are within frame, so it's like right behind me. Like on the other side of that city, and that little hilly area right over there is where the Russians are, so. We're in eyesight, I suppose. We're giving out the smokes. Camel blue. The preferred cigarette of the Ukrainian soldier. There's smoke down in there too. Did they hit this? Since, yeah, they hit that since we drove through last. Right? That didn't look yeah. like that? No, it was a normal block. little nugget you guys saw right there will give you a taste of what is to come from these guys uh, they're going to be standalone videos so hopefully you guys are excited for those because i am and and this is this is the first major offensive we've actually seen that's happening inside of ukraine where the, the ukrainians are actually just kicking the russians in the teeth so we're going to go over to some mapping i know a lot of you guys and gals out there are waiting Kharkiv, we've seen some stuff going on inside of the Kharkiv region let's go ahead and kick this sucker on so this is the first major uh, offensive we've seen inside the Kharkiv region over the past month or two, probably the last two months or so. And it's showing it's going to have a little bit of success. The Ukrainian military has decided to actually go around one of the areas they, they've, they've attacked multiple times in the past, and they've taken a different route, and they've actually caught the Russians uh, a bit by surprise. So we've seen them hit this area multiple times, a lot of, a lot of fighting's going on. But now they've actually scooted around and came around them, just like that. That, that's much. They've liberated four towns in the last 24 hours alone, with one of them being one of the larger ones that's directly on the MO3 route, which leads out of Izium into Kharkiv. And them doing that is going to effectively cut off the Russian troops that are just north of here from being able to be resupplied. That seems to be the case they keep trying to do all over the country. This could be the end, or the beginning of the end, that is, for the Russian occupation of Izium, honestly. Uh, with the reports I'm seeing, the Russians have stalled out pretty much dramatically almost to a dead stop, and we've seen them do literally nothing but lose ground all around the outer edges of Izium over the last month. We know this. They've, they, there was an offensive push about three, three to four weeks ago on the southern side of Izium, which we can scroll down here. This is what I'm talking about, this little pocket, and they took it back. So 
And it's it's also something to, to note that this isn't the first time. Well, it's it's this isn't the first time that we haven't seen the Russians lose ground because I mean they have attempted to make pushes uh, farther south outside of Izium like this, and they've all been unsuccessful in each attempt. Like I'm, I'm we're gonna sit on this one and kind of wait for the next day or so to see what the end result is. But right now, what I'm seeing is pretty impactful, and we're gonna shift out of this area. And there's been stuff. I just can't believe what's going on. So Boho Road to China. Once again, the Russians attempted to take it and were unsuccessful. Now, crazy things have actually been happening. So we're going to shift over here. Now, you're not going to believe me when I say this. Um, this is happening out east. So look at this area right here. We haven't seen anything happen over here in like months. Literally months. The Ukrainians literally went across the Donetsk River, secured a town. They secured a town. What? The? Ozern. Ozerny. Ozern? Yes, Ozern right there. You guys, it's on the opposite side of the Nets River. We know the southern side of this river, high ground, low ground on this side. So I've literally liberated this town, which I'm not entirely sure why they're pushing out of here. It could be to maybe possibly cause some confusion or it could be trying to take back more ground and push north on the river. I don't really think that's what's the case as of just yet. Uh, I think it was actually done to possibly test the Russians along this defensive line, which is pretty much, you guys see this purple line, this whole thing I'm drawing out, that's the Donetsk River, so that is that front line. And I think it was done mainly just to uh, test what's going on because it, it's been pretty stagnant, honestly, and this is one of the biggest killers during wartime is lax, like being really lax in their security and becoming complacent, which led to exactly what had happened. I think this they seen this as a time to actually hit the Russians in the jaw and hurt them a bit. And they don't plan on holding this ground. I don't I don't think they would. Maybe they do. I don't know. I mean, I'm not there. Either way, it's awesome to see the Ukrainians pushing the Russians around just a little bit in somewhat a, a stale area. Okay, so we're going to shift out of here. I have actually read, I didn't annotate it or show it, but it looks like this little pocket of Russians that was right here on the outer edges of Saversk was actually pushed back. I'm going to wait another 24 hours to actually make sure. But other than that, there's no real change. Uh, in this northeastern side. So we're going to shift on down here towards Bakhmut, which we all know has calmed down just a tad bit. Um, they're, they're, this is also the area where that video was from, by the way. But the fighting around Solidar has been calmed down. It leads, it leads me to, to actually kind of believe that the Russians are either getting really frustrated because they aren't making any progress, like at all, and they may be rethinking to get a different strategy, or they completely lost their steam, which... Could be the thing, or be the case, because we've seen them do this all over inside of Ukraine, like the entire country. They go into one area, they hit it really, really hard. They they look like they're about to make like a big push, and then it just kind of falls out. You know what I mean? Like just just kind of just stops. Like they definitely do not go for like the slow and steady approach when it comes to fighting in a war. It's just more like, and then just and just run. It's not like they need to be using Duracells. They're not using Duracells. But on the, for the most part, there's no there's no change along this Bakhmut front line. Uh, Solidar, there's house house fighting, but it's slowed down. Um, we're actually going to shift all the way over here. Uh, when I mean like no change, so along this line and along this one, there's been none. The Russians did attempt to actually push out of the northern ground of the um, the the the, air, the airfield that they took inside of Pisky, just outside of there. No, nothing really happened. So we're going to shift over to Kirsten. So Kirsten. Everybody knows there's a lot going on over here. If you watched the last episode, you guys know uh, Kirsten is where the major defensive and they've actually taken back quite a bit of ground over the last 24 hours. Now, over the last two days, the Ukrainians uh, Air, Air Force, which is has been kind of non-existent for the most part, has actually reported to have carried out 30 close air support sorties. Sorties means exit. Uh, in, I think it's in French, actually. But sortie is just a... a I, I would call them a mission or an operation. Like, I wouldn't call it an operation. It's just, it, I, I, I just want to put it. It's 
it's a it's it's an airplane leaving a, a base to go help gra- troop, troops on the ground or, or just complete a mission. A task at hand. That's pretty much it. Uh, anyway, this is they went out and did thirty different operations uh, to actually help the current offensive operations that's taking place, and we haven't seen much activity from the Air Force all during this entire war. So they must have some intel that they feel a little bit more comfortable enough to like fly around without much of a worry. The Ukrainian military has continued to exploit the bridgehead that was across the Inulets River, and they've comp- continued to actually expand this white space very slow and methodically. And this is the area I'm talking about. So right through here is where the the largest casualties are, are currently taking place by the Russians. The Ukrainian artillery has continued to launch sustained, less sustained bombardment of Russian positions inside of this area. Okay, they've also been targeting the Russian barge traffic that's been currently attempting to to actually bring supplies across the river into Kyrgyzstan. So they've been absolutely smashing pretty much everything along this route that they can reach. Okay, also down here, we know that this is where these barges are that are attempting to push through. There's a couple of them and they've been just absolutely getting hammered is is the best way to put it. Uh, there's also been reports that the Russians have sustained extensive losses of men and equipment around inside of this pocket. The Ukrainians have also been targeting arriving Russian forces with anti-tank guided missiles and artillery that has been dropping on predetermined assembly points. Okay, predetermined assembly points. From what I'm currently saying, this this offensive movement that they've, they've been doing, this operation, has been extremely thought out and planned all the way down to the locations they expect the Russians to stage more troops and equipment once this thing kicked off. So they knew. All right. So they're going to be coming in from this route. They're going to take a pause here, an operational pause. They're going to try to push their men and equipment up north because they're going to have to. Now, they have all these, these, these locations already predetermined, and they're just dropping on them. Like, we've also seen indications that the Russians have thrown, like I've said, their best troops, the VDV, inside the same pocket where they sustain the largest casualties. This is not a good thing. The Russians, they need these men. If you're on the Russian side of things, which I know a large 7% of you that watch this are on the Russian side of things, and I, I'm just telling you, you're going to need these men. Want to to fend off like Kirsten from being taken back over by the if the Ukrainians are able to get down the Kirsten, they're going to need actual like VDV to hold off because now we're going to have house to house fighting once again. You're going to have to go on your Wagner groups like your non military whatever. Anyway, doesn't really matter. Now remember this line is going to be continually changing as of as of today. It's going to it's probably different from what I'm making this video. Uh, but I'm giving you guys the most information that I can grab because it's ever so changing and it's changing so rapidly and I'm just one person. So I do love you guys. Thanks for hanging out with me. I'll catch you guys on another episode tomorrow.